welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there, folks. Welcome to 1% Better, the podcast that aims to make you 1% better or more. And this week's episode, it is all about books that hopefully will help you on that quest to be better, to improve in some way, shape, or form. So this time last year, I released an episode on 10 books from 2018 that made me better and said I'd share them along that hopefully will have that same impact on you. That episode was a bit of an impromptu one. One afternoon, I was contemplating doing something like it, and then about three hours later, I had it done. I just got into it and picked out 10 books that I read and went for it. And it was a really interesting experiment and one that hit home with many of the listeners that had afterwards got in touch. They purchased one of the recommended books, read it, and have taken action as a result. So that's result. Brilliant. Great. Delighted to do that. And it was always on my radar to do it again this year. So much so that I tracked it a little bit better this time around, kept a log and a list of all the books that I read this year on a couple of shelves and then started to kind of filter out the ones that stood out more than others towards uh, the end of the year, the last couple of weeks and came up with 10 again. Now, I could have probably went for more or less, but uh, why break the habit of going for 10? It worked last year and hopefully it'll work this year for you. So what I plan to do over the next however long it takes, is call out the book, a little bit about it, and read a passage from it. And I will try and make sure that that sounds as good as possible to give you a little bit of an insight into the book, the topic, the theme. And maybe from there, it might be something you want to know more about. And from that perspective, you can go out and purchase it. There's links on the website to most of these. um, And you could do that. Or like me, I picked up a lot of them second hand and that's always good Uh, and the beauty of this list and same as last year they're not all books from 2019 I'm not even sure well maybe one or two are actually from this year they're from previous years and I just never got around to reading them they were always on the list and on a shelf but it was this year that I picked this one and that one and have to say it was probably the best years reading that I've ever had so That's pretty much it. I don't know if you can hear stuff going on in the background. It's kind of windy here tonight. I'm recording this on Wednesday night. Hopefully this will go out on Friday and we shall take it from there and let's get straight into it. Okay, I said I'd just do that for the crack. On the Roadcaster Pro device that I've purchased recently, there's loads of buttons that you can play for little sound effects. So I said I'd do that as we transition into the first book. And it is called Mindful Walking by a gentleman from Cork called Hugh O'Donovan. And Hugh is a registered psychologist and he was one of the first people I interviewed in 2019, uh, shortly after I read the book. And what struck me from the book Mindful Walking, Walk Your Way to Mental and Physical Wellbeing, as it says, is how well it was written. It was Hugh's first book that he put together. And I do remember from chatting to him about the process of putting together a book, which stuck with me, which is useful for folks that maybe ever plan to do something like that. 
was he might write, just write 100 or two or 300 words a day. And over the course of a year, that's 30, 40, 50,000 words. And then you have a book. So, you know, break it down into small manageable chunks was something that I took from the interview. But the book itself is around mindfulness and introduction to it, how you can practice it. And for me, who's been doing this for a while, it's always good to read other books around mindfulness and meditation and look at it from different angles and reinforce the message that I already know, but it's always good to repeat and practice the reading and practice the actual meditations and mindfulness to develop that muscle and build it stronger and stronger. So this is a really useful book, a good interesting read about mindfulness, goes through a lot of stuff in that area and obviously talks about how you can walk mindfully. Let me just read out a little bit from it around a simple exercise around meditation that might be useful for you. Okay, so Name and Tame is the name of this one, a three-minute meditation. Mindfulness is fundamentally about developing greater awareness. This is a short introductory meditation to develop that awareness. So, find a quiet place to sit on a straight-backed chair. If it works for you, don't sit into the chair supported by the back, but rather sit forward, head back, and in line with a straight back and spine, feet flat and in contact with the floor. In that position, close your eyes and, as best as you can, bring the focus of your attention to the natural ebb and flow of your breath in and out of your body. This is something you may never have done before, or you may have tried and given up, or maybe you're a Zen master. Notice the breath and sensations associated with your breath as it comes and goes. Is your breathing shallow? Can you notice any sensations in your nostrils? There is a lot going on. Adopting a mindful body and mind focus is to be with and observe whatever arises and comes into awareness without judging it as good or bad. You don't have to breathe in a special way. It is as if just notice it and maintain the focus as best you can. Inevitably, you may also notice the mind will drift and wander off, perhaps to a judgment of some sort. This is nice, this is silly, this is hard. Random thoughts and memories may arise. Some plans for the future may come into mind. As you notice whatever thought arises, just bring your attention back to the breath without judging the thought or yourself harshly. It is only a thought. It is not reality. The important thing is not to judge, but just to notice that the mind has wandered Bring it back to the breath each time you notice. After the three minutes, you might consider using a timer or mindful app. Open your eyes and come back to the place where you're sitting. The object of this exercise is to begin to notice the mind and the workings of the body, in particular the breath. The process of focused attention on the breath is central to the practice of mindfulness. The breath, very simply, is the anchor, the mooring, the safe harbour we can return to any time we wish. There you go. That's the little example in the book around doing a three-minute meditation, give you an insight as to what to expect from the book. Hopefully that 
whets your appetite and check it out. We'll go on to book number two. Will we do the little music intro again? Okay. I promise I won't do that for everyone. Okay, book number two is called Recreate Your Career Story, and it is by a lady called Mary Butler. So Mary is somebody I know from ex colleague at work and a friend I guess at this point uh, she shared her work with me earlier in the year and the book recreate your career story how to get clear on your career is one that came out and one that I definitely enjoyed over the course of uh, reading it lots of interesting stuff comes out as you can suggest or imagine from the title it is about career change it is a help guide like a coaching book to help you work through your current values your purpose are you in the wrong job if you are how to make that change it's very well written mary's sense of humor definitely comes across well and personality comes across on the from the book and again her first book that i'm uh, pretty much aware of and i decided to read a little page that stood out And it's from chapter five, getting a clear mindset. And it's called Deadline Focused Clarity. So there's a little quote here from Rudyard Kipling. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And which is more, you will be a man, my son. Okay, so what does that say? Kipling is telling us that we only have one chance at time and once it's passed it's gone forever we should always make the most of our valuable and limited time think about how much work you achieved on the last day before you left work for your holidays i bet you got loads done and it was completely focused you flew through it ticked off all the items on on your list how often does that happen almost never in making decisions about our careers you will have distractions things that are stopping you from making a change. You can let these distractions affect your career decisions or you can enforce your own timeline and get stuck in. Imagine how much better you will feel. No guilt, no regret, no fears. Mary says she has recently read a book called Rework by the founders of Basecamp, Jason Freed and Heimier Hansen, in which they share... When you impose a deadline, you gain clarity. When restricted by time, we somehow seem to be able to prioritize what's important and just focus on what's necessary. And when you have a reason to make a change, it pushes you even harder. You're not always going to be in the right mindset or position to address a career crisis or blip. Sometimes you need to stay where you are, keep the routine going, and you can address it when you're ready. It is good, however, to have the thoughts processing in the back of your mind so that when it comes to making a decision you'll be ready what will be your commitment to 60 seconds worth of distance run today so that's a very interesting page from the book and as i was reading it things that came up for me around distractions i heard today somebody calling mobile phones the weapons of mass distraction And that stuck with me. And that certainly can distract us from lots of things. But time itself is the most important commodity there is. And 
what we do with that is so, so important. And I appreciate you listening to this, giving up your time to listen to this episode. That's why I'm hoping it's useful. But when you're making a career change, it's certainly very important that you use the most of your time to figure out what that change is all going to be about. And putting a deadline on it absolutely helps. So that's a snippet from Mary's book. Hopefully it's one you can check out. And we'll go to number three. So book number three is from the very well-known author now that has really sprung to prominence over the last couple of years, Yuval Noah Harari. He is the author of Sapiens and Homo Deus. I don't know if you've read those or heard of those. I think I might have talked about them on the podcast before. This book that I read this year is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century and is very much worth checking out. As the title suggests, there's 21 lessons, 21 chapters, and it goes into areas like liberalism, globalization, nationalism. I'm just flicking through it here. The topic of work, how that is going to change in the 21st century. And there's a lot of talk about that uh, now for sure as well. So the, the piece I'll pick out from the book and to tie it back to the first book as well and Probably won't go into too much more about meditation or mindfulness in this episode, but it is about meditation. And Yuval talks about just observing, how you can just learn to observe as part of your meditation. He was somebody that hadn't really invested much time or interest into mindfulness or meditation for the first number of years of his life. and into It was only in university when he was doing a doctorate in Oxford that he was recommended by a friend to go on a meditation retreat, uh, a Vipassana meditation course, and that was what changed it. So I'll just read a little bit from that and touch on meditation again, but it's a brilliant book, lots of topics covered, and I would recommend it. So eventually my friend Ron Merman suggested that I try putting aside all the books and intellectual discussions for a few days and take a Vipassana meditation course. Vipassana means introspection in the Pali language of ancient India. I thought it was some new age mumbo jumbo and since I had no interest in hearing yet another mythology I declined to go. But after a year of patient nudging in April 2000 he got me to go on a 10-day Vipassana retreat. Previously I knew very little about meditation and I presumed it must involve all kinds of complicated mystical theories. I was therefore amazed by how practical the teaching turned out to be. The teacher at the course, S.N. Gwinka, instructed the students to sit with crossed legs and closed eyes and to focus all their attention on breathing in and out of their nostrils. Don't do anything, he kept saying. Don't try to control the breath or to breathe in a particular way. Just observe the reality of the present moment whatever it may be. When the breath comes in, you are just aware. Now the breath is coming in. When the breath goes out, you are just aware. Now the breath is going out. And when you lose your focus and your mind starts to wander into memories and fantasies, just as you are aware, now my mind has wandered away from the breath. It was the most important thing anyone ever told me. So that chapter goes on to go into much more detail around how meditation has been the catalyst in many ways for Yuval to write these massive 
best-selling books that he's done over the last few years. And the guy himself isn't that old. He's probably in his mid-40s. But the writing that he put together uh, around Sapiens, around the history of humankind, so detailed, so insightful, a brilliant book to read. And and this one gives so much more as well to uh, give you uh, insight and learning and skim the surface on a lot of topics you might hear on the news and in the political realm at the moment. So definitely check that one out if you're interested in learning about lessons for the 21st century. Okay, we'll go on to number four. I know, I said I wouldn't do it all the time, but it's still a bit fun. So this one is from a gentleman called Anthony DeMello. And this one may be a little bit of a cheat on my part. Uh, this is a book I read few years ago, but have reread it a few times and dip into it on occasion. And it's one of these kind of reference guides that you might get something from picking up for five minutes on a, any given day and reading a chapter. And chapters in this are a couple of pages long in lots of instances. It's a bit like a Stoic philosophy type book, but more of a kind of a modern twist on it. I'll read a little bit just on the back. Awareness is the name of the book, and it is a best-selling guide to the spiritual life now firmly established as a modern spiritual classic. And the the page that I'm going to read is called Negative Feelings Towards Others. So here goes. At one of my conferences, someone made the following observation. I want to share with you something wonderful that happened to me. I went to the movies... And I was working shortly after that, and I was really having trouble with three people in my life. So I said, all right, just like I learned at the movies, I'm going to come outside myself. For a couple of hours, I got in touch with my feelings, with how badly I felt towards these three people. I said, I really hate those people. Then I said, Jesus, what can you do all about that? A little while later, I began to cry because I realized that Jesus died for those very people, and they couldn't help now the way they were. Anyway, that afternoon, I had to go to the office where I spoke to those people. I told them what my problem was, and they agreed with me. I wasn't mad at them, and I didn't hate them anymore. Anytime you have a negative feeling towards somebody, you're living in an illusion. There's something seriously wrong with you. You're not seeing reality. Something inside you has to change. But what do we generally do when we have a negative feeling? He is to blame. She is to blame. She's got to change. No, the world's all right. The one who has to change is you. One of you told of working in an institution. During a staff meeting, somebody would inevitably say, the food stinks around here. And the regular dietitian would go into orbit. She had identified with the food. She is saying, anyone who attacks the food attacks me. I feel threatened. But the I is never threatened. It's only me that is threatened. But suppose you witness some out-and-out injustice, something that is obvious and objectively wrong. Would it not be a proper reaction to say this should not be happening? Should you somehow want to involve yourself in correcting a situation that's wrong? Someone's injuring a child and you see abuse going on. How about that kind of thing? I hope you do not assume that I was saying you shouldn't do anything. I said that if you didn't have negative feelings, 
you'd be much more effective, much more effective. Because when negative feelings come in, you go blind. Me steps into the picture and everything gets fouled up. Where we had one problem on our hands before, now we have two problems. Many wrongly assume that not having negative feelings like anger and resentment and hate means that you do nothing about it. Oh no, oh no, you are not affected emotionally, but you spring into action. You become very sensitive to things and people around you. What kills the sensitivity is what many people would call the conditioned self. When you so identify with me that there's too much of me in it for you to see things objectively with detachment, it's very important that when you swing into action, you be able to see things with detachment but negative emotions prevent that. What then would we call the kind of passion that motivates or activates energy into doing something about objective evils? Whatever it is, it is not a reaction, it is action. Some of you wonder if there is a grey area before something becomes an attachment, before identification sets in. Say a friend dies, It seems right and very human to feel some sadness about that. But what reaction? Self-pity? What would you be grieving about? Think about that. What I'm saying is going to sound terrible to you, but I told you I'm coming from another world. Your reaction is personal loss, right? Feeling sorry for me or for other people your friend might have brought joy to, but that means you're feeling sorry for other people who are feeling sorry for themselves. If they're not feeling sorry for themselves, what would they be feeling sorry for? We never feel grief when we lose something that we've allowed to be free, that we never have attempted to possess. Grief is a sign that I made my happiness depend on this thing or person, at least to some extent. We're so accustomed to hear the opposite side of this that what I say sounds inhuman, doesn't it? Okay, so that's a bit of a longer piece from the book Awareness, Anthony DeMello. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. You might have to listen to that one back again to take something from it, but it's worth having a read of, and it's an oldie. It's probably in a second-hand bookshop somewhere. I think I paid five euros for it, and it's a good little reference. So there you go. That's number four. Okay, so this is number five, and now I've decided as I've been going through this, I'm going to break this podcast into two parts. This is the last one from part one the next episode, probably released in a day or two, you can get the next five. Break it up because it could be a bit too long to listen to in one go. And I'm pretty hoarse at the moment, but let's get through it. So number five is, if I didn't rank all of these, but I'd say this one is number two or one of my top 10 for the year. So it's good to break this one up uh, into two parts as a result. This one is called The Paradox of Choice by a gentleman, a psychologist again called Barry Schwartz who I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing for the podcast. And there's a link to that episode. It only came out a few weeks ago. Uh, That was a big treat for me. And it was after reading this book. So this one I've had on my shelf for a good while and only got around to reading it this year. It was released in sometime around 2004, 2005. And I knew within about half hour reading it, I was going to absolutely enjoy this. There's so much fact in it, so many experiments, uh, behavioral psychology uh, intertwined all the way through it, and so much cool just insights that Barry pulled together. As we talked about in the podcast, he 
himself says he didn't create a whole lot of new thinking. It was looking at existing work and taking a different approach on it. But the piece or two pieces that really stood out in it was this idea of maximizers versus satisficers. So think about perfectionism and perfectionists versus good enough. And you'll kind of get an idea of what he's talking about there. So I would absolutely, totally recommend this one. Of all the the ones that um, you could pick out, this one would be one or, or two on my list. And it's all about, ultimately, the challenge we face with too much choice. And maybe there's too much out there and what we should do about that. The piece I'm going to read is from Chapter 7, just at the start. And it talks about regret, in that with all the choice we have, Sometimes we regret things after the choice, but even before the choice. Let me read this little page or so. Anytime you make a decision and it doesn't turn out well, or you find an alternative that would have turned out better, you're a candidate for regret. Some years ago, my wife and I ordered a high-tech, great-for-the-back seat uh, desk chair in an online auction on eBay. The chair never appeared. The seller was a fraud. And we, along with several others, lost a tiny sum of money. How could we have been so stupid? My wife and I took turns saying to each other, do we regret having been taken? Indeed, we do. This is called post-decision regret. Regret that occurs after we've experienced the results of a decision. But there is also something called anticipated regret, which rears its head even before a decision is made. How will it feel to buy this sweater only to find a nicer one, cheaper one in the, sh- in the next store? How will it feel if I take this job only to have a better opportunity appear next week? Post-decision regret is sometimes referred to as buyer's remorse. I love that one. After a purchasing decision, we have to start having second thoughts, convincing ourselves that rejected alternatives were actually better than the one we chose. Maybe the grass is greener concept there. The bitter taste of regret detracts from the satisfaction we get, whether or not the regret is justified. Anticipated regret is in many ways worse because it will produce not just dissatisfaction but paralysis. If somebody asks herself, how will it feel to buy this house only to discover a better one next week, she probably won't buy this house. Both types of regret, anticipated and post-decision, will raise the emotional stakes of decisions. Anticipated regret will make decisions harder to make, and post-decision regret will make them harder to enjoy. So, that's just a touch of this book, and it talks about regret there. The next page is going about omission bias, and yeah, there's so much in this one. It's a bestseller it's a brilliant book it stands to the test of time brilliantly if anything from talking to barry now 15 years on since it's been written there's more choice than ever and it's making things more and more difficult so i will leave that one there that's the fifth book of 10 and we will come back probably in the next day or so with a second version of the episode and the second part and hopefully something you're going to come back and listen to and enjoy because uh, it's it's fun it's enjoyable and it's christmas and hopefully this gives you some ideas of things you can buy with the vouchers you get 
or by somebody you know one of these and read it before you give it to them really quickly something like that anyway that's this half done i will hear from you hopefully let me know if they go down well and we will put out the next one in the next couple of days thanks so much for listening and talk to you soon good luck